Tim Calise, welcome to Biz Talks with Kevin Feely. Thank you so much for hopping on. I appreciate it. Oh, thank you for having me, Kevin. Really appreciate it as well. Looking forward to uh, to chatting. Yeah, absolutely. So um, tell everybody a little bit about you and what you do. Yeah, so my name is Tim Calise. Uh, I've got a very storied background ranging from raising $350 million for a hedge fund uh, at the age of 24 uh, to now I am the number two uh, guy for service-based businesses that want to grow from 250K a year uh, up to five to 10 million. And so I, I take this 20 years of experience of being an owner, operator, investor, uh, and help the next round of entrepreneurs uh, stack the stack the deck in their favor uh, to to maximize business value for themselves and, and their families and others. That's incredible. Yeah. And yeah. so you were the uh, business development, head of business development at Gym Launch with Alex Hormozzi, right? I was, yes. I uh, worked alongside Alex for a couple of years, uh, ran Prestige Labs, which was our supplement brand, uh, and then uh, headed the... Uh, what is termed Allen, uh, which was a lead gen uh, software that we built uh, from zero to 1.7 million MRR in about four and a half months. Uh, we exited about a year and a half ago. Yeah. Okay. So, so, so let's dive into that, right? How do you sure. how do you have such a huge amount of success in such a short period of time? So as I said, my, my background is a little varied. Uh, I think a lot of folks, you know, uh, kind of find one thing and then kind of make a home in one industry or one type. I started in finance uh, and then I ended up in technology and gyms. Uh, so I was part of uh, and now own a uh, technology driven fitness concept uh, here on the East Coast. Uh, and then that led me to an introduction to Alex and Layla over at Gym Launch in 2018, 2019, uh, and then uh, struck up a relationship with them and, and being more of kind of a business entrepreneurial guy, uh, joined them in uh, on the mission to, to build Gym Launch uh, into, into something quite valuable. So uh, just have always been really inquisitive uh, and either a mix of naivete uh, or just not knowing any better or stubbornness. Uh, I I love the creative process of figuring out how to build things. Uh, I'm not artistic in the traditional sense, but taking a company, taking an idea, uh, and bringing it to uh, to market, and it has always been an area of interest for me. Uh, and you know, from from a very early age, so always like money, always like investing, uh, and this was my entrepreneurship was was my avenue to do that. That's really cool. So when you met Alex Ramosi, Alex and Layla, um, yeah. what was it that, because your personality types, I feel like are very aligned, but also very different. And I see that mm -hmm. in any, like when I look at my business partner, who is a big reason why the company is where it is, when two business partners that kind of blend and they have good opposites, but also they, they align in ways, um, you know, what do you think is the most important thing when it comes to that? So Alex and I, I, th I think was more of a kindred spirit beginning. Uh, so I started, I actually came to gym launch uh, and to meet Alex and Layla. Uh, I won a sales competition in one of my gyms. We were selling uh, the supplements that, uh, that were part of that, that company, Prestige Labs. And so it was one of those, I finished in the top X number of people, which we want to trip down to meet them. That was the prize. And it's myself and I think there was eight or 10 other gym owners all sitting around their dining table. And Alex said some version of, you know, let's, what's the biggest bottleneck in your business right now? Like, let's solve it. It was a consulting uh, kind of opportunity. And everyone was like, I need more sales. I need to solve churn, all that. And then it got to me and he looked at me and basically said, you have no business 
owning a gym. Like wrong delivery vehicle. You're far too smart for this. Like we got to figure out something else. And I think that was where it started. And then okay. from there, it kind of turned into uh, talking about how to build the business and the challenges and deal making and things like that. And so I think we were very similar in a lot of ways. He uh, skews much more sales and marketing. Yeah, I'm much more kind of foundational economics, finance, uh, spreadsheets, you know, that kind of stuff. So yeah. I think call it overlap. It was like 50, 50. And then we each kind of had our separate things, which allowed us to have commonality, uh, but also some, some differentiation and, and one of the best entrepreneurs I've ever met, uh, and learned a lot from him, uh, but also was able to kind of flex my muscles on, on how to build the, build the operation, build the business, things like that. That's incredible. Yeah. I, I yeah. think that the, the, the thing that makes me successful is my background in B2B sales. I had really mm -hmm. good sales and sales management experience, which I think translated a little into marketing. And then yeah. my business partner is much more the operational backend guy. So when those two forces join, man, it, it's so much better. And I see so many entrepreneurs try to do it by themselves. And I mm -hmm. try to do it, you know, you want to be the top dog all the time and you don't want to give up yeah. equity or whatever. And that's like the worst thing you can do, I think, because it keeps you small. So to any business owner, especially service-based businesses, what are some of the things that you see as common mistakes that stop them from growing? So I think that's one of them. Uh, I think business owners do two things, two primary things. Uh, they get into business for a reason, and then the hiring process almost moves them further and further away from the thing that brought them joy in the beginning. So typically a business owner will start a business because they're good at the thing, right? Like I'm going to deliver value because I'm, uh, you know, I, I founded a gym because I love working out as an example. And then you go, well, now I'm going to hire trainers. I'm going to hire salespeople. And all of a sudden you go from being in the fitness space, which was what, you know, kind of brought you joy, your, your area of genius, if you will. Uh, and now you're a manager and you wake up every morning, you hate your life, right? So that's one. The second is a corollary to that or similar to that, which is, I think we don't value, we don't understand the levers of how to uh, actually maximize our output. Because take that example I just laid out. And then you're like, well, I wake up in the morning and I hate what I'm doing. So I just stop doing it then you get really inefficient and then the business stops to you know stops growing or you go out and try to you know build you know build another location so that you can inspire yourself again so i think business owners that stop growing it's usually a behavioral issue it's a okay. it's a belief issue uh it's like what's wrong what's broken in you as it relates to the business and then we look at three things with tactically which is pro product pricing and positioning of the actual business itself uh, and that's, that's a separate conversation, but happy to, happy to dive into that. Um, yeah. so there's some tactical things, but I think a lot of it stems from, you know, the business owner and, and the belief systems they have. Got it. Okay. Yeah. So, I mean, let's dive deeper into it, right? Cause, yeah. cause typically I think as Alex Ramosi always says, the offer is King, right? And if your marketing's broken, your sales will be broken and your fulfillment won't work because now you don't have enough sales. So dive into that. Let's talk about those three things. Yeah. So I, I think obviously Alice is famous for kind of making an offer so good people feel stupid saying no. That is the entry point is, as far as I'm concerned. So you can put an offer out there. My belief is you win long term by making a sale to get the customer, not getting a customer to make a sale. Right. That's a, that old adage. So if you make if you offer someone something 
and you make a sale and then you drop the ball, you are effectively limiting the lifetime value of that client, right? Every business that maximizes value is a function of making, you know, getting somebody on board and then keeping them as long as possible, recurring revenue, et cetera, et cetera. Um, that's how, that's what I believe in a service business we need to do. That is our job. So yes, he's right. I focus on the other 95%, which is what does that experience look like? What is the value stack? Things like that. So when I say price product and positioning, your pricing, it gives you, our, our goal is to set up a, what we term a self-liquidating offer. So when somebody, let's just say our, our uh, cost to acquire client is $50. If we can have a hundred dollar front end offer, <clears throat> we can recoup our capital, our investment immediately and buy the next client. Like this was what we did at gym launch and it worked incredibly well. The product is making sure that that person gets more than a hundred dollars worth of value. So what product do we need to have to have a high ticket front end offer that allows us to do, to do that type of marketing? And then the positioning piece is price and product together determines where we fit into the marketplace. And an example would be at Gym Launch, we introduced a six-week high-ticket challenge offer, the six-week challenge. At that time, gyms were doing free trials. We came in and said, you should actually be charging $600 for the first six weeks. It's like we went to the complete other end of the spectrum. Just on its face, a free offer versus a $600 offer. You think we were crazy, but people would look at it and go, if they're charging $600 for it and they're selling it, it has to be better than the free thing. And I think that's, we sometimes get caught up in price trying to find the right one. Yeah. Price actually does dictate value in a service business. We're not selling commodity businesses uh, or commodity yeah. products. And so I just think about, I work with a lot of folks on how to actually build that product and that process because yeah, a lot I've of people just try to go to the lowest common denominator and they churn through money and it feels like you're making progress, but you never actually have anything left over at the end of the month. That's right. what it feels like when, uh, when you're, when you're out of alignment. Yeah. Well, people don't value the things they don't pay for. Right. So if I give, you know, I mean, and we can use the example of like, you know, the, the billionaire's son who drives a Ferrari, right? Like he doesn't care <laughs> yeah. about scraping that thing up, but the guy that works from the ground up and builds it up and puts the work in and, you know, yeah. he's going to hold, he's going to really take care of that thing. So I think that a lot of the times in business, what I've seen, and, and I dealt with it in the past, especially when I first started is really like racing to the bottom on price, right? Yeah. You pitch on price, you lose every time. So right. So let's dive a little deeper into that $600 offer. So while other gyms are selling these free trials, like a free 14 day or two week trial, you said you're going to the other side of the spectrum. You're charging them 600 bucks for like a boot camp, or not a boot camp, but a uh, like a six week. It, it was challenge. A it was a transformation offer. Uh, was really what it was, and so yeah, that's it was a six week transformation. Yeah. Got it. Okay. And what do you think got people? I mean. What psychologically yeah. triggers the customer to pay for that versus doing the free trial? What is it the end goal? Because you're pitching, you're not pitching. I watched a video of yours where you talk about not pitching features, but pitcher, pitching the benefit, right? Exactly. They're not yeah. saying, hey, the features are these weights. It's, hey, your partner is going to look at you different. Hey, you're going to feel this way. Yep. So I, I, I call it the story of the half-built bridge, right? So- in, in this example, which is a gym example, uh, the free trial looks something like, you know, 
hey, Kevin, welcome to Tim's gym. You know, let me show you around and there's a bunch of weights that you can use and I'll give you a day to try everything out, right? People don't join a gym to lift weights, generally speaking, general population. They go there for the outcome. They want to lose weight. They want to look better. They want their spouse to look better, et cetera, et cetera. Um, in order to reach that goal, you actually don't just need movement. You need nutrition guidance and you need accountability to keep you on the straight and narrow. So by offering a free trial, you're only giving one of the three legs of the stool and you are not giving the person an opportunity to actually reach the goal that they're there to achieve. So, and that path is well-worn, you know, most people have done multiple free trials and it doesn't end up getting them any further, right? So we said, hey, instead of wasting your time, we're going to give you all three legs of the stool. So we're going to give you movement, accountability, and nutrition. And we're going to do it in a way that we know that if you can make progress in the first six weeks, you might, you know, it's a lifelong initiative. Like, I just want to show you that it's possible and show you how it's possible. And then we'll talk about doing this long-term. So we do a transformation, then we do a maintenance program or, or some version thereof. Yeah. And I think in fitness, especially, and I think this, it actually can, can work in a lot of industries, but how you feel about yourself is so critically important, right? It has its tentacles in everything you do. So if we can break the stigma of failure and start to make you, you know, start to move you forward towards where you want to go. And I, you, you're exactly right. I use this example of like, you, we're going to make you look so good. Your, your spouse's, you know, jaw is going to drop when they see you naked kind of thing. Cause yeah. as humans, this is what it's all about. You know, it's so funny. We used to, I used to train our team on this. People would walk in and say, and we would say, you know, what brought you into the gym today? And they would say something like, well, I was just walking by. It's like bullshit. You weren't just yeah. walking by. Nobody. That's like saying I was. I had a free minute. I went to a car dealership or something yeah, like that. Yeah. Not to knock on car dealers, but like it's just not the natural thing. So it's like, so what really brought you in here? And it's like, well, I was going to the Chinese food next, you know, place next door. Like, okay, now we're getting somewhere. Why? Like, but why are you here? Because I want to lose weight. No. Why are you actually here? It's because when I go out with my girlfriends, I'm the ugly duckling. Ah, like now we're on to it. We're like. You know, my husband doesn't look at me when I, you know, that kind of stuff. That's what we have to get to. And so at the core, it's understanding why the person's there. And I think in every service business, there's the thing behind the thing. And that's what you have to tap into. And it's like, it's not usually the surface-based thing. And that's the free offer. It hits the surface. You have to go a couple of layers deep. Like, what is the motivation? And and in sales speak, that's like the, what are the, the fears and aspirate, you know, fears and worries versus aspirations, uh, you know, things like that. So, yeah. Yeah. That's incredible. I think a lot of people don't ever take the time to think that deep into the sales cycle, right? They think, Oh, yeah. if I give something for free, well, that's going to be like an easy way to get something, somebody in, which it might right. be, but like you're focused on lifetime value. And yeah. it seems like you're driven less around selling and more around having a beneficial product that actually does something transformational, right? Yeah. And and if when you have relationship-based, a based a, approach, then you look at it and say, okay, if I could solve this one problem and I do it with authenticity and I either do it faster or with less risk, now I've, to know, like, and trust me is a great place to be. Right. We used to have gym members that would come in and ask me for recommendations on everything under the sun. 
we were a gym and people were asking me like, where, you know, where should I go get my car serviced? Or, you know, you pick, pick, you know, who, what, which real estate agent do I, should I use? It's like yeah. totally unrelated, but I was the, I was the person who for once and all for all gave them what it is that they actually needed. Right? <clears throat> and when someone trusts you, then you say, well, what's the next problem I'm going to solve? And the problem after that, and the problem after that. And I think that's a really important, that's just my belief. If yeah. you're, especially in service, there's always problems to be solved. You just have to figure out which is the first domino to fall and then win on that and you'll you'll get the rest of the business. And we, we talk about it in terms of wallets. This might be a great kind of frame. It would seem crazy to say that if I gave you, a, if I said, you know, uh, your budget for a gym membership versus food, it would, you'd go, those are two separate things. I wouldn't say I'm not going to eat because I want to go to the gym. Those are, that's because you are spending money out of two different wallets, two different budgets. The more wallets that we can open up with a client, the more engaged they will be. And I think it's a fallacy when people are like, well, I don't want to charge more. Well, there's lots of ways to charge more. It doesn't mean have the same wallet and ask for more. It's you have the opportunity to tap into other things. And I think that kind of sideways, you know, kind of tangential thinking is really important in service. It's like, how many different budgets can I tap into? Because the more connections you have, the longer that person will stay. Wow. Yeah, that's that's incredible. Now, one flaw that I see with a lot of businesses, especially small businesses, is they focus on first, they focus on word of mouth marketing, right? Which mm -hmm. is which is great, right? If you have a great product, that will happen and that'll be a big main source. And those will be your best quality leads because of the no like and trust factor, right? But a lot of the times people, especially when they're generating leads, they only focus on the people that are ready now. In terms mm -hmm. of lead lead nurture and following up with leads and just staying in front of people to make sure that you're not only reselling to your existing customers, but also when you generate interest and somebody doesn't buy right away, long-term, you know, you still got to be planting that seed and watering it. What advice do you have for a business that's really focused on the front end, the easy, low-hanging fruit versus also on the long-term stuff? Yeah. So we, we term this the now versus not now buyer, right? The, the general construct of this is like 10, 40, 40, 10. If you had 100 leads, 10 of them will say yes automatically because they're just, they're, re they're ready, willing, able. They've done their, they've had time on brand, the whole nine yards. Regardless of your sales cycle, you're an order taker for those people. On the other side of the spectrum, there are 10 people that no matter what happens, you can, you know, give them a winning lottery ticket. They will always say no. I think so when we as a business think of like, you're really talking to the middle 80%. And half of that need more information and like, like tactic, you know, tactical questions and things like that. And the other half just need more time and time. I, and this is a little bit of a controversial one. People are like, well, if I give you more information, you should be able to make a decision now. The reality is depending on what it is you're selling, I think that is what is solved by time on brand. Like they just need more experience with you. Um, maybe they are not ready to, you know, the, the old adage of like, let's just book a call. 
People don't want to book calls anymore. Sometimes they just want to be a voyeur for a little longer before they engage. And when they engage, then they switch into that other 40%. Now they need information, you can sell them, and then hopefully you can convert them. So I think our jobs are to, because I, I think we've all been here, right? I had a lead. I, they went directly through the, the steps and they said, no, this is like, they weren't a good lead. The leads were yeah. terrible, right? It's like, no, that's not how the world works. So, yeah. you know, we have a five-star, like one to five-star ranking process of like, where are they? And it goes from, they are aware of you to they know, like, and trust you. And there's actually steps along the way. It's not, did they buy? Yes, no. Right. It's and I think so. Long-term nurture is a critical element, especially if you are a believer in relate in any kind of relationship-based, you know, sales process. Well, it's like, do am I offended that you're not ready right now? You could say, well, then you're, you're dead to me, you know, Mister Mister Wonderful, yeah, on, uh, Shark Tank, you know, yeah. or you could say like, okay, cool, I'll check. And it's not the like kick the can down the road, not have a good sales cycle. It's more about the state of the prospect, not the state of your process. And I think right. those are different things. Yeah. Yeah. You, you hit, you hit the nail on the head because I, so as you know, I have a real estate marketing company. We've got thousands of real estate agents that, that work with us and 90% of them will get two or three leads in their first month. The leads don't answer. The leads don't respond. The leads don't want to, the, the, sorry, the leads don't want to do a million dollar transaction off one text message with you, you know, and <laughs> right. they just go, Oh, all the leads are bad. And then they start, you know, kicking up dust. And it's like, you got to be in this for the long haul. You have to not only call your leads, but you have to build a relationship. And if you're selling a gym membership, that's one thing, right? The sales cycle might be this small, but if you're selling a house, the biggest financial decision of their life, you can't expect them to make a decision right away. And some people do. And like you said, you hit it on the head out of a hundred leads. You have 10% of them that say yes, right away. You're basically an order taker. You have 10% that say no. And then you have that 80% in the middle that you're going for, which either need more questions or more time. So you hit the yeah. nail. On and, the and, and, if you, and if you graph them, the higher the ticket and the longer the sales cycle, the more important this is. So real estate is a great example. You might need to nurture. Number one, it's a high ticket. Like it's a major decision, which yeah. already requires more kind of work and handholding and things like that. And they might you know, somebody might be cursory looking right now, it might be two years before they say, okay, now I'm ready. So you're exactly right. This fallacy of they're just going to be all teed up and ready, like the, the second that they opt into my free, you know, lead magnet, and all of a sudden I'm going to get a, you know, $100,000 commission check uh, is, is just simply naive. It's, it's ridiculous. So I've made this little drawing here. I don't know if you can see this, but I can. Basically, and this is one thing that I always reference for my clients. It's, can you see this on the camera? Yeah. Okay. Sorry, I got two cameras. So, uh, okay. but basically in this circle is anybody that's going to buy your product in the next two years, right? Mm -hmm. And anybody in this little circle inside of this circle, which is very small, are the people that are going to buy now. I feel like most businesses focus on that small circle because it's the easy, low-hanging fruit, you know, but they don't spend any time nurturing the people outside of that that will eventually enter that smaller circle. 
So if you're a business owner and you're listening to this and you're struggling with quality of leads, you have to remember, like Tim said, I, I, I just want to, I want to go over this a million times because it's such the, the numbers here are so accurate too. If you have a hundred leads, 10 of them will say yes, right away. They're going to be the easy ones. And that's if you follow up, 10 will say, no, you're going to have 10% that no matter what you do, you could give them the, we all know those guys, right? They're the rocket scientists. They know better. They'll never yeah. sign up. And then that 80% in the middle, they just need more of something, whether it's more clarification, more questions or more time. So anyway, sorry to go over that a million times, but I just want to drive the point home that if you're generating leads and you think the quality sucks, it's probably your follow-up short-term and long-term. Yeah. And I think it comes back to two things and at the risk of ruffling feathers, it's like, if this is you, you're lazy. And, that, and I mean that like as an opportunity, like this yeah. is not the business. If that is how you are perceiving success to look like, that is just not reality. Yeah. That's, that's the first. And the second is if that's you, it is, it usually comes from a position of fear. The scarcity mindset of, I need to make a sale now that pressure is not only going to hurt you in the long term, but it's going to turn people off. Yeah. Because you, if, if you truly want to play this game the right way, and what I mean by that is you're here for the long term, the, the pure, you know, kind of foundation of how you're approaching your world is a, you're playing, you're trying to play a long-term game with short-term tactics. Yeah. And you will lose every single time. You're just going to kick that can down the road. So if, if this sounds like you, there are solutions to make your life significantly easier. It's just different than what you're doing right now because you're yeah. trying to get blood from a stone. Right, man. Yeah. It's such a relevant point to any business because I think that um, any business owner listening to this is probably nodding their head going, yeah, that's me, you know, because it's so common, right? Which the beauty of it in my eyes is if you're, if there's a problem that's so common, like most businesses not following up with leads, that just makes it yeah. so much easier to get out, put the work in and pass your competition up, right? Alex Hermosi, and sorry for keep continuing to bring up Alex, but Alex, had I saw him uh, bring this up on a podcast where he basically said something along the lines of, you know, if you're 14 episodes into a podcast, you've already surpassed 95% of your competition. And Alex just sits there and goes, I just, it is just so easy to win. It is ridiculous, you know, and, and it's true. Yeah. It, it is. And it requires, it's the, it's a difference in mindset. One thing that has served me well, it's served Alex well as, uh, in addition is, are you outcome focused or are you behavior focused? Most people are outcome focused. And what that means is I am going to try to get somewhere, which means I will try to get they're the shortest possible way I can do it. And you keep cutting and cutting and cutting and you very quickly get to you're taking shortcuts or your expectations are it will happen fast. Behavior. So that's like, I want to have a winning podcast. Like, okay. What happened is day zero, they thought they would have a winning podcast. After yeah. three episodes, it was like, I just have to go a little further. At 10, it's, oh my gosh, this isn't working. And 14, I quit. Yeah behaviorally is the podcast is the podcast. I'm doing it for a reason 
different than a specific outcome. So if I believe I have something to share, then I will share it no matter how many listeners I have. And it is one of those crazy paradoxes where it's like, if you don't worry about the outcome, you'll get the outcome. Mm. If you're worried about the outcome, you're never going to get the outcome. Like the watch pot never boils kind of concept, right? I think we are so focused on, I, you know, I get a business card and an LLC. And then the next, you know, three days later, I have a Lamborghini and mansion. It's like, that is the world we live in. It is a fabrication of reality. Yeah. And the funniest part of the whole thing is like, if you are the person who is, you know, on TikTok and Instagram thinking that's where the breakthrough is going to happen, the people you want to be like are not doing that. Yeah. It's the, yeah. it's the old adage of like Lamborghini doesn't make social media ads. They don't make TV ads. Why? Yeah. Because their buyer doesn't watch TV. Yeah. Yep. So you have to decide who you want to be and set your expectations appropriately. And then the side, the side effect of that, which I can already kind of probably hear people saying is, well, that sounds great, but I don't have enough money to play the long game. Oh, yeah. That's a different question. That's a totally different issue. One is a behavioral issue, like a, a an expectation issue. The other one is resources. Right. And there's a ton of ways, especially now in this day and age, there's lots of ways to do that, <laughs> to, yeah. to make it, you know, to do the right thing and do it over the course of time. And that right. might involve having a nine to five job and doing the work after hours. Well, that sounds like a lot of work. It's like, yeah, it might be a lot of work. Yeah. And anything good is going to not be the easiest to get, you know? Yeah. And I, I think that there's, it, we live in such a society of instant gratification that especially this younger generation, these kids who are, you know, uh, Gen Z, they want everything and they want it right now and they don't want to put the work in. And people can argue that millennials struggled with the same thing compared to other generations, which I would agree with. And um, you talked about, you know, are you focused on an outcome or behavior focused kind of routine? And I think that in business, one thing for me that helped me get to this point, because I started my business in, in 2017. So I'm still here because I was passionate about the process, passionate about the journey, right? It wasn't about building up a business. It was about, I mean, it was about building up a business, but it wasn't about the end goal of getting a, you know, when I started it, I thought I wanted a Lamborghini and I realized I I don't, right? I I get much (laughs) funny how that happens. The longer you play, the longer, the less that relevant that becomes. So yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Like I didn't want the Lamborghini. Everybody wanted me to want a Lamborghini, you know? Um, so yeah, I think that's really, really important. And and playing the long-term game, you know, you can't, I, I think you have to just do it until it works and and know when to make a pivot. But so that's another question I have for you. So if if let's just say, right, for for my podcast, been doing it for a little over a year. We've we've done close to 50 episodes. And um, you know, it's we we've we've we're building a good foundation. But I, I'm committed to doing this until it's blown up, right? Like, I just know that if I just continue to do it and try to get better every day, it's going to blow up, right? So so I am i don't care how much time it's going to take, I'm going to do it. But when do you, in a business, which I consider the podcast a business, when you're, when you have that mindset, when do you know when to make adjustments? So there's one thing about not giving up, but there's another thing about 
you know, if you don't, if you're heading in the wrong direction and you keep going, you're just getting further from the goal. So what things do you look for in terms of maybe KPIs or what do you look for in order to make an adjustment? Yeah. So I think one of the things to recognize, which is related to the question is I'm going to say the untrained brain that most of our brains have a hard time understanding non-linear relationships. So said another way, if today looks like today, tomorrow, you know, we're one step above, the line looks like a straight line, Mm. right? We all probably remember, you know, graphing stuff from like middle school, right? It's up and to the right, you know, all of that type of stuff. The reality is progress happens quadratically, which means it ever, it goes actually increases faster the further along you go. The reason why that is relevant is because if you look at the beginning part of that graph, it looks like very slow progress. Once it quote unquote starts to hit, it starts to take off. That momentum builds more than, and what most people say is like, I just couldn't even, I couldn't believe how fast we were growing. Yeah. Right. It's not that you can't believe it. It's because you knew that this was the possibility and this is what kind of compounding looks like. You just can't appreciate it until you see it, right? All of that is relevant because I think whatever the status, so let's just say it's it's you know minutes listened or subscribers or whatever it might be. Pick your KPI that is relevant to growth because there's two pieces. One is, are you growing? Like, are you moving? Like, are you, is the business increasing in collective scale, like size? And, and real quick, the second, yeah, yeah. sorry, real quick. I just want yeah. to establish, can you just explain what a KPI is to anybody oh, sure. that may, may have heard that and not, yeah. you know? Yeah, so KPI stands for Key Performance Indicator. So the idea is in any business, there should be one thing that you can look at and say, if this one thing moves this mm-hmm. way, we are quote unquote making progress. Like it is how it is tied to, it can be sales, it can be number of customers, whatever it is in your business. Uh, so in a podcast, like your your creative KPI might be, I need to produce shows. Like number of shows is your KPI as a creator. From a business tracking perspective, it might be listeners or downloads or whatever the, the metric might be. The last part of that is call it relevance. So imagine if your podcast went from, you know, one listener in year, you know, in day one to, you know, a thousand listeners at the end of the year. Let's just, you know, for somebody's podcast, that thousand, if they are all different types of people, that's one thing. If you had a thousand people who are all real estate agents who wanted marketing services and totally other ball game, right? Right. So are you growing is, and it's going to be more scattered in the beginning. You have to throw spaghetti against the wall to some extent. You're finding your voice. The you know, listeners are a little more haphazard. It will refine itself over time. So as long as you're growing, so I would advocate in your case, as long as you're getting listeners, as long as minutes inc- are increasing, I would look at it as minutes, per, uh, total minutes in the beginning. Right. Because right. that's a combination of how long they're listening and the number of people. If that yeah. is moving and it will start to compound, you're moving in the right direction. And then you solve the second problem, which is, is the composition of the listeners what you want? Mm. That's a secondary issue. Right. Does that make sense? So it's, I, I think that's how I would think about it. So yeah. you know, in, in most businesses, it's some version of revenue. Uh, 
in a service-based business, churn is one of the most important things. Amazing. So like you can you can grow a business, but if everybody leaves, like you're not do something's not right. Right. Yeah. So so I want to just backtrack just yeah. back to our last. Topic. There was a lot there. So yeah. No no no. That's really good. No, I think the the I think that makes a lot of sense. But I want to go back on what you mentioned about the progress graph, right? Where a lot of people think that progress is this consistent escalation of, you know, one plus one is two, two plus yeah. one is three and, and so yeah. on. Yeah. But the progress bar that you suggested is like a compound interest where it's kind of increasing, increasing, increasing. And, and all of a sudden it's just, it, that is how I would have, how I would describe the growth of my, to a point of my software and lead generation company, right? Like we were, you know, it, it was consistent growth and then all of a sudden it got faster and faster and then boom, we exploded and it happened really quickly. So I think that that's the thing that most people struggle with and that's why they quit is they can't see it before it's there. And when the progress seems really slow, they think it's going to be this consistent growth where it's just going to take forever if it's even going to grow. But what they don't realize is the compound effect. So can we talk a little bit more about that? And and maybe if somebody has a business that isn't doing great or somebody is trying YouTube or whatever, can you kind of just speak a little bit more on that compound effect and, and how that works? Sure. Let me ask you a question because I actually just recently read this and you might know because you're in this business. Do you remember, do you know when Joe Rogan did his first podcast episode? I want to say it was like 2008 or nine. 2009. Yeah. We're in 2023. Yeah. 15 years in the making. Yeah. So I just want to like, I think there is this preconceived notion of things happen faster than they do. And if you go back and watch those early episodes, they were not well produced. He was as goofy as he, like this is pre, you know, fear factor days, the whole nine yards. And yeah. I use him just as like, as because he's obviously one of the most successful podcasters on the planet right now he ate shit for the first five years. Like nobody listened. Yeah. That's the reality. And so, you know, it, it just reinforces this idea of, I, I think we are far too take a step, analyze, take a step, analyze. It's like, what are you actually trying to do? Like, what's the, what's the point of the podcast? If you are saying, and, and some people go this route, if you are starting a podcast to be able to sell it, just set your expectation that it will not be sellable for 10 years. Yeah. Minimum. And that's fine. It's the, you have needs your, and this is also something kind of in business that I've learned. Your needs are not the business needs, the business's needs. How many times have you ever thought or heard somebody say something like my business needs to make more money so that I can pay my bills. Your business doesn't care what your needs are. Your business has its own set of needs. And saying that the business has to hit certain objectives so that you can have certain things is a fallacy. Like it just doesn't yeah. matter. Right. So the things take what they take and you can accelerate certain things. But like the idea, yeah, in the beginning, it's going to be slow. It's like getting a boulder moving. Well, and you you had mentioned, sorry, you had mentioned yeah. earlier um, about in a sales cycle, people can feel when it's, when your intentions are, to make a sale or people when, yeah. when you're forced and you kind of repel people away from you. So I think that in terms of the podcast, the, you mentioned that Joe Rogan was all goofy and it wasn't produced very well, yeah. but that's what made it work. Right. And right. else was really doing it back then, but you know, um, 
but I, uh, I I think that it's really important to understand and it all comes down to it all comes down to loving the process. And Joe Rogan did it because he was having fun. He, he I don't think he had any idea that what happened now was going to happen. Do you? Of course not. No, of course not. Because that's. I, if you look at sports, right, it would be the equivalent of saying my nine-year-old, I'm going to tell him to play basketball because he's going to sign a supermax contract for $252 million sometime in his life. Yeah. Like I would, I just wouldn't do it. Cause you're like, number one, the likelihood of it actually happening is small, but the motivation is wrong. Like kids play sports for the purity of the sport. Yeah. I just think we have to get back to doing more things for the purity of like why you're doing it. I think we look at all of these things around us and go, I'm going to reverse engineer Joe Rogan's experience. I'm going to, I'm going to reverse engineer Mr. Beast. Mr. Beast's first hundred videos got like 500 views. Yeah. You know what it's, and you know, these are all obviously popular, popular examples, but like, I just think we forget it's the overnight success, you know, 20 years in the making, you know, all of those types. Of, I just think we're really societally, we're really good at, forgetting the foundational elements uh right until you actually start to do it yourself you see what that looks like and it is the only the only way to keep going is to have purity of doing it right because if you're not getting an outcome if you're not getting the payoff in the short term there has to be another motivation right the and why. that's why people and and people and people well yeah you have to have a better why i mean simon Sinek, you know start with why it's like why am i doing this yeah, there has to be something bigger than yourself. I mean, all of these themes you can see kind of coalesce around, you know, around these around these concepts. Um, and I just think we're yeah, it's if you're going into business purely financially, you're going to miss the mark. Right, a hundred percent. Well, Tim, let's talk about the cash flow collective. What yeah. is that, and who is that the, for? <clears throat> the cash flow collective is a small group of uh, service based business owners, CEOs, uh, and founders of independent businesses. So like not franchises. I have a mission to help the next round of independent operators succeed in business. So we've put a group together around the principles of pricing, product, and positioning to take a uh, underperforming or stagnant business, one but existing, uh, and basically pour fuel on the fire. And so it's a 12-week uh, program. Uh, and you're in a small group of folks and I coach every single one uh, and we have uh, group calls and then you get one-on-one -on -one support in addition to that. I am a big believer. The world doesn't need another round of information. They don't need another course. We need implementation. Like the time has come to stop doing the like $49 course will not solve all of your problems. Yeah. If you want to build a million, five, $10 million business, we got to get to work. And this is the way for me to be able to to collectively make that impact happen. Awesome. And and where can people find out more about the uh the cash flow collective? Yeah. So uh timcalise.com, T I M C A L I S E.com. Uh I've got a VIP uh section right there. So you can give me your name uh and and uh send your email address over and and we'll get you information or Instagram uh tim.calise. And if you DM me uh the word heaven <laughs> if you are listening at this point, DM me, Kevin, uh, I will send you, send you a special gift for, uh, for being a supporter of the podcast. Incredible. 
Um, yeah, guys, go to timkalees.com. Again, that's T-I-M-C-A-L-I-S-E.com. Uh, get on that email list. Tim has some very incredible information. Tim, I think we're going to have to do round two. I think I think we we could probably go into a million different ideas. Absolutely. But um, but yeah, I highly encourage you, if you're a service-based business and you're looking to grow, um, it's not going to happen without somebody like Tim. So if you are if you feel like you're in the absence of that, go to timkalees.com, get on his email list, and check out the Cashflow Collective. Perfect. Tim, I look forward you. to seeing you there. Yeah. Thank you so much for being on. I appreciate it. And we'll talk soon. Sounds great. Thank you so much. Thanks. Take care.